Welcome to The Reimagined, a podcast where we take a remake or a reboot and compare it to its original. Who did better? Why? Which one was received better critically? What was added in the remake that made it work? What was changed that made it flop? We'll find out. We will be discussing plot, production, reception, and analyzing the differences of each film. If you have not seen the film we are discussing, please go see it and come right back. I'm Hannah Chan, your host, and today we are discussing the 1991 animated film Beauty and the Beast, directed by Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise, and its 2017 live-action remake, directed by Bill Condon, both distributed by Walt Disney Pictures. For our first episode, I thought we could start easy. People always have a lot to say when it comes to Disney remakes, and in my opinion, Beauty and the Beast has been one of Disney's most successful remakes. In recent years, Disney have released several live-action remakes of their famous characters that served as their foundation. Some flopped and some did alright. So how did Beauty and the Beast stand out? Let's see. First, I want to talk about the summaries of the films to get everyone up to speed. The remake did not stray too much away from the original, so they pretty much have the same plot. A young prince is turned into a beast for his unkindness to an enchantress in disguise. He needs to learn how to love and be loved in return in order to break the spell. A magical rose indicates the time he has left. When the last petal falls, he will remain a beast forever. Years past, our protagonist Young Belle is a peculiar girl in town because she reads and does not submit to Gaston, the egotistical town hunk, who only wants her for her looks. Living with her father in the little town where they do everything the same every day, Belle always imagines the bigger world outside. Hence, Not me, I guarantee it, I want much more than this provincial life. Her father got lost and was imprisoned by the beast. Belle, like the good daughter she is, comes to the rescue and willingly takes her father's place to be imprisoned by the beast. During her stay, she got to know the beast better. They bond and even begin to fall in love. However, Belle's father doesn't know that and still thinks the beast is imprisoning his daughter. He tries to warn the townsmen but is treated as an old fool. Gaston hatches a plan to use her father to get Belle to marry him more specifically to claim he is insane and use it as leverage. In the meantime, Belle and the Beast have a dance. Belle expresses that she misses her father, so the Beast lets her go. Trying to prove her father's sanity, Belle reveals the Beast. The townspeople panicked and decided to kill the Beast before he can do anything to them. Yeah, after like two minutes learning about his existence. They head for the castle and a battle between the angry mob and the furniture embark. Belle returns as Gaston stabs the beast. Gaston falls to his death and the beast falls in Belle's arm, dying as well. Belle professes her love for the beast, reviving him and returning him to his original form, the handsome prince. They dance happily at the end. This story is no doubt about love and self-love. Before discussing further about the films, I want to talk about where the animated version took inspiration from. It is based on a French fairy tale, La Belle et la Bête, 
literally meaning Beauty and the Beast. Published in 1756 by Jean-Marie Le Ponce de Beaumont, in this version, the protagonist is simply referred to as Beauty. Instead of being the only child, Beauty has five siblings, three brothers and two sisters, and her father is a merchant. At the beginning of the story, the family was robbed by pirates. Losing all their wealth, the family is forced to move to the rural area. A year later, the merchant hears that some of his wealth might be recovered. He asks his children what they want when he returns. All the other siblings ask for something fancy, while Beauty only wanted her father to be safe. In her father's insistence, Beauty finally asked for a rose. However, all the recovered wealth went to paying his debt. On his way home, he got caught in the storm and stumbles upon a palace. About to leave after a good night's stay, he plucked a rose from the garden to fulfill his promise to Beauty. He is confronted by a beast who wants to punish him for theft, but then changes his mind to let him go in exchange of Beauty's hand in marriage. Beauty refuses the beast during her stay. She explores the palace and discovers many wonderful rooms instead. Beauty becomes homesick and the beast agrees her exactly a week away. Her siblings are jealous when they saw how well Beauty is living. They convince her to stay for another week in hopes that the beast will eat her when she returns. When Beauty returns, she finds the beast dying. She regrets not loving the beast in the first place. And suddenly, the beast transforms into a prince. The prince was turned by a witch because of his selfishness and can only break the curse by finding true love despite his hideousness. They live happily ever after. As you can see, a lot of the main elements were kept. The beautiful girl, beast turned prince, the involvement of roses, the curse, and finding love. This is only the original version. There are tons of other versions throughout Europe, Asia, and America. The original fairy tale is darker. The beast have never met Beauty and he already wanted to marry her. In a way, he did blackmail her into marrying him. In this case, Stockholm Syndrome, where a hostage develops emotional bonds with his or her captor, is very applicable to Beauty. This tale was originally written to prepare young girls for arranged marriages. Now we are done with the origins, let's move on to the production of both films. How does a moment last forever? How can a story never die? It is love we must hold on to. Never easy, but we try. Belle is the fifth member of the Disney Princess Club after Snow White, Cinderella, Aurora, and Ariel. Made during the time where technology is advancing at an accelerated speed, Beauty and the Beast combine traditional animation with computer animation. It is like a bridge of animation from hand-drawn to computer-generated images, using computer-generated backgrounds with hand-drawn characters. The iconic ballroom scene was designed as a production set on the computer. It is the first computer-generated background that was both animated and fully dimensional, which means the moving background allows for changes in perspective. The immersion of hand-drawn animation with a computer animation was innovative for its time and pioneers for future animation projects. It also includes 3D CGI, 
like the chandeliers that hangs above Beast and Belle when they dance. As the scene's camera, I'm using quotation marks with my hands but you can't see it, moves around from the ceiling to capture the dance sequence of Belle and the Beast, the chandelier has the three-dimensional effect. An interesting fact here, the filmmakers had a backup plan in case their ideas failed. Belle and the Beast would dance in the spotlight in pure darkness. Okay, moving on, James Baxter, the supervising animator of the film, observed dancers and went to Walt's lessons to design the sequence. The screenwriter Linda Wolverton said in an interview that she deliberately set out to create a Disney heroine who was about more than her looks or how nicely she would behave when terrible things were happening to her. She didn't think women would accept a heroine who was going to sit around and wait for the prince to come and save her. When you think about it, before Beauty and the Beast, the princesses before Belle were very passive to their own storyline. Snow White was waiting for her prince since the beginning. Cinderella waited for her prince to find her with a shoe. Aurora was asleep two-thirds of the time and on screen for a mere 20 minute in the 76 minute long film. The title character only appeared for one-third of the time. The film could might as well be called The Fairy Nannies, since the three fairies were pretty much involved throughout the movie. And Ariel was, well, I guess she tried to fight for her love, but she was impulsive and a kid. At the end, she still had Eric, her prince, to save her from Ursula. Belle was the first princess who did not set love as her goal. She just wanted her father to be safe. Personally, I was glad there was finally a change of depiction in women, that it was okay to like to read, to be different, and love is not the ultimate end goal for a woman. The movie suggests that while being yourself and fighting for what you believe in, love might come along the way. It gave the message that girls can write their own stories too. Interesting fact, this is exactly why Emma Watson turned down the role of Cinderella in the 2015 remake. She explained that she didn't know they were going to make Beauty and the Beast when she turned down Cinderella. However, when she was offered the role of Belle, she resonated with Belle more than Cinderella. Curious, compassionate, and open-minded, Emma Watson expressed that that is the kind of woman she would like to embody as a role model. As the UN Women Goodwill Ambassador, Watson only agreed to take on the role after collaborating with director Bill Condon and shaping the character. By making sure Belle was the inventor, Watson created a more feminist Belle. She said that in a strange way, Belle challenges the status quo of the place she lives in, and I find that inspiring. She's not easily swayed by other people's perspective, not swayed by fear-mongering or scapegoating. Another aspect Watson contributed was Belle's clothes and footwear. Belle always have pockets for different tools in her books. She's a very good horse rider, so the little ballet shoes in the animated version would not make sense for a person who needs to ride a horse, tend gardens, and fix machineries. So Belle got proper boots. Emma Watson also studied whether Belle is trapped in an abusive relationship with the Beast before signing on to the film.
Now let's talk about the production of the 2017 live-action remake. Beauty and the Beast is the first remake from Disney's Renaissance period. From 1989 to 1999, Disney went back to making animated films adapting from existing stories. The films that were made during this decade all received critical success, pushing Disney to the top of the industry. Walt Disney Pictures president Sean Bailey said, With older classics, what people seem to remember are emotions. People really know the chapter and verse of the movie. Director Bill Condon's updated version had to bring something new to the table. It features an ensemble cast with Emma Watson and Dan Stevens as the title characters. It also includes Luke Evans as Gaston, Ewan McGregor as Lumiere, Josh Gad as LeFou, Sir Ian McKellen as Cogsworth, and Emma Thompson as Mrs. Potts. The remake was first announced in 2014 and released in 2017. In order to create the Beast, Dan Stevens had to wear a 40-pound gray suit on stilts for the majority of the film. The facial features of the Beast are done intricately to capture the subtleties of the human face and communicate through his eyes, his last humanly feature, and how Bell ultimately recognizes him as we can see at the end of the film. The remake did really well recreating iconic scenes, from Bell's arrival to the castle to the ballroom scene. Sarah Greenwood, the production designer for Anna Karenina and the Sherlock Holmes movies, embedded astrological clocks, brass chandeliers, antique books, inlaid doors, and crystal chandeliers throughout the castle. French country details are present all around the kitchen in the castle. The tavern where the townsmen meets and drink is decorated with antlers and murals of Gaston's hunting victories. The film is full of extravagant artifacts to fit the period and location. Be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, Sherry, and we'll provide the rest. Generally, the 1991 Beauty and the Beast was received very well. Stephen Hunter from Baltimore Sun said, It is the most dynamic animated film ever made. And the prints of its camera, the sense of penetration into its action, the brilliantly paced editing pyrotechnics give it a crackle of life far more abundant than any feature that comes before. It grossed $331.9 million worldwide during its initial release. The animated version received the first Best Picture nomination for an animated film, which no one was able to do later in 19 years until Up. In its essence, this film is a classic and an all-time favorite for many. When the remake first came out, in its opening weekend, it earned the seventh biggest domestic box office record, Beauty and the Beast is currently the 15th most expensive films ever made, with a whopping $255 million budget and it grossed $1.2 billion worldwide. The movie uses nostalgia to attract the audience, but also successfully attract young generations to walk in the theaters to watch the film. Nick DeSimlion from Empire said, Those who predicted this wouldn't had a talking candle to the animated original will be pleasantly surprised. The tale may be as old as time, but is retold with freshness, brio, and flair. Another critic, Chris Nashawati from Entertainment Weekly said, It's fine and funny and sweet and lush, and some of the songs are infectious, but I still don't completely understand why it exists and why they couldn't do more with it. 
As you can see from the two critics, the film is not as beloved as the original. If there's no comparison, there's no harm. If the remake is viewed standing alone, it's a great success, retelling the story of a French fairy tale. However, that's not possible. The animated film is considered a classic. We all know how hard it is to retell something that has been revered at a higher ground. Because Beauty and the Beast is viewed as a classic, people also view it as the ultimate template. People watch it for the nostalgia. So the film cannot be changed that much. At least the premise needs to stay the same. However, if it is a shot-by-shot -shot remake, people are not satisfied either. After the success of Beauty and the Beast, critics thought the remake of Dumbo, The Lion King, and Mulan would be as smooth sailing as a certified blockbuster. However, we know now that that is not the case. Dumbo and Mulan had drastic makeovers. Pretty much the title characters was kept and everything else was altered. Especially Mulan. It has so many controversies before it came out. It got boycotted because of the actress and the filming in Xinjiang. The release date got pushed back because of the pandemic. It was finally released on Disney+, Plus, but you had to pay an extra $30. It also received criticism for brushing off Chinese culture with stereotypes. Loyal, brave, true? Really? We're not going to go deep into it now. I will discuss it more in depth in our second episode solely on Mulan. So stay tuned if you want to hear about that. Sorry that I went a little off topic there. When I was doing my research for the reception of the film, a few controversies kept popping up. LeFou played by Josh Gad, Gaston's sidekick, had a gay moment. At the end of the final boss sequence, LeFou can be seen dancing with a man. LeFou's sexuality is hinted throughout the film. He seems to have a crush on Gaston and the only one who seems to know how to push the right buttons for him. The moment is either well-received or underwhelming. However, some in the LGBTQ community expressed that they think the gay moment slash character did not go far enough, saying Disney can pat itself on its back all at once for turning a villainous buffoon that was coded as gay in the original film into a morally ambiguous buffoon who is obviously gay, confides in a teapot, and tries out dancing with a man. We are left wondering how long the LGBTQ community must wait to see a truly authentic performance of queerness by a main character in a Disney film. Another controversy is Belle's and Beast's relationship, which I will talk about more extensively in my analysis because I have strong opinions about it. There's something sweet and almost kind But he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined And now he's dear and so unsure I wonder why I didn't see it there before Okay, now my favorite part. Let me tell you how I feel about the films. I love the remake. When it first came out, I went to the theaters to watch it twice and listened to the soundtrack for months. I think it gave a new life to the tale as old as time. First, let's talk about the major differences between the remake and the original. The film gave the beast a heart and soul in the remake. My problem with the original has always been that I could never see why the Beast loved Belle and what made Belle fall in love with him. From the original French fairy tale, Beauty had no sign of loving the Beast until she found him dying. 
From the 1991 animation, there are signs of affection from Belle. However, I couldn't see why Beast loved Belle. Is it really her that he fell in love with? I might be thinking too much, but every time I watch the film, I question the Beast's love. Did he really love her? Or was it convenient that a beautiful girl had to stay with him because of her father? But I did not feel that when I watched the remake. The characters are more complex and real. In the beginning of the film, the prince is depicted as selfish and mean. However, into the movie we learn that he is only that way because when he lost his mother, his father didn't support him emotionally, and by doing so took his innocence away. The Beast became a more relatable person to sympathize with. The filmmakers made sure to give the Beast a reason to be the way he is, instead of just telling us that he possesses these qualities. It also gave the servants in the castle a reason to stay so loyal to him. They grew up watching the little prince lose himself. They cannot help to feel responsible and stay with him. It is at this moment where the beast is no longer just a beast, but finally a prince who has been suffering in his own way. So when Belp came along, it was different for the beast when she rebelled against him. And it was finally the time for the main guy to have a main song. I especially love the beast solo evermore. It perfectly described the Beast's mind as Belle is leaving the castle. At this point, he knew he loved Belle and what it would mean if she loves him back. But she wants to be free, so he lets her go. As she leaves, he knows she is not going to return. He tries to climb as high as he can just to see her figure disappear from his sight. If that is not love, I don't want to know what love is. Moreover, in the 2017 remake, the filmmaker gave them more chances to bond and connect. Belle's love of books stems from her curiosity about the world. Therefore, when the Beast showed her to the castle's library, it sparked their love. The Beast gave Belle what she wanted the most to be able to see the world through the books she read. And then he goes above and beyond when he uses the book that allows you to truly escape to take her back to Paris, her childhood home, and they learn what happened to Belle's mother. This is the Paris of my childhood. These were the borders of my life. This crumbling, dusty attic Where an artist loved his wife Easy to I think this added detail makes it more believable for Belle to fall in love. 
She always wanted to get to know her mother more, but she couldn't bear to see her father sad. All she knew about her was from a painting and the rose baby rattle. It was with Beast that she finally learned that her mother died from the plague. This added setting further solidified the importance of roses in the film. Serve as this foundation as the Beast and Belle's love, he helped her recover something that she has been longing all her life. There's a slight change to Belle and her father. Instead of being an inventor, in this version, Maurice is an artist. He brought a musical box that depicts his family and the windmill they lived in to a convention. Mentioned earlier, it is Belle who is quite the inventor. She fashioned a washing machine so she could read on the side. This shows that Belle is more than just a bookworm. She actually puts use of what she learned from the books she reads. This gives Belle more character. Walking around town and seeing how she's disappointed in the town and long for the outside world does not really do much for her situation. Watson also expressed that this setting was added to highlight why Belle didn't fit in, other than the fact that she liked books. Even Gaston got his own character arc. It is hinted that Gaston's personality stems from his time at war. His temper and inability to self-control suggest issues at war. Moreover, Gaston and LeFou knew each other from their experience at war. Maybe that's why they tolerate each other so much. They have been through something together, so they can understand each other. LeFou obviously respects Gaston a whole lot, but Gaston still betrayed him at the end, claiming his hero time above his dearly beloved friend. The Enchantress was also around this time. In the original, we only hear about the Enchantress in the opening scene. However, in the remake, the Enchantress was always nearby as Agatha, a poor girl living by herself. She is also the narrator instead of Cogsworth for the prologue. I think this idea that the Enchantress was always around was a nice detail. In the original, the Enchantress put a spell on the prince and left, but in the remake, the Enchantress seemed to be really testing the Beast's ability to love. She was there when Maurice needed help, she was there when the castle was collapsing. So I think this added detail really helped that the Enchantress was around to test the beast, not just put a spell on him and bolt it. I think other than the amazing details that were added, casting was also why the film was able to be so successful. I gotta say, casting Emma Watson is Disney's greatest choice. I could not see anyone else play the living, breathing Belle. Emma Watson has already garnered many fans as Hermione in the Harry Potter franchise, a girl who is book-loving and clever. However, interesting enough, Watson's Belle does not feel like Hermione at all. I think it is really impressive that these two characters that are so similar, and Watson was able to perform two completely different characters and give us completely different feel of them. Lastly, for me, Ewan McGregor was also one of the main attractions to watch the film. I would do anything to hear him sing again after watching him as Christian in Moulin Rouge. Tell everybody that this is your song. 
divine. And I think he really brought out the wit of Lumiere. Other than the existing plot points, the 2017 retail enhances the characters and by doing so brings the audience closer to them. That is all we have today. Thank you for listening to The Reimagined. Stay tuned for future episodes on more Disney remakes. I also have more plans on Jumanji, the Oceans Trilogy and Oceans 8, and The Old Boy. If you have any suggestions for future topics, you can find us on Instagram at reimagined underscore pod. Thanks again for listening. Hope you will come back for future episodes.